0: We're in 1 John. If you're new or visiting this morning, take your Bible and, or your phone or whatever you use uh, at this time. And It's just great to be back. Uh, thanks to James for covering the last two Sundays uh, while we went to see my family in Wisconsin. We had an absolutely wonderful time and he did an absolutely wonderful job. Wouldn't you agree? Was that good? Give him a hand. He's sitting right there. Yeah, thanks, James. That's awesome. All right, we're talking about John. John is laying out that the spirit of something, what James covered, is it has to be tested. And that discernment between truth and error is really important. It has to do with the confession of who Jesus Christ is. And in particular for John's day, the confession that Jesus has actually come in the flesh. That was a big deal. They had the divine part down. They knew that Jesus was divine. But the argument is whether he could actually be human or not. Because if he was human, that meant he was flawed. And how did that work? And so we've been going through the book talking about that. But the Bible affirms that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. That's a, a fancy term in theological circles known as the hypostatic union. All right? And uh, the Council of Chalcedon. Yeah, Chalcedon. Yeah, you went there on vacation. Awesome. Okay? It's in modern-day Greece. Uh, A.D. 451, so about 400 years after Jesus walked the planet, they clarified this. This is a major council they had trying to resolve the disputes that were going on in this day off of the things that John was teaching in his epistle. All right? So it's connected to this. It's, it's that important. And they said this. First, Jesus has two natures. He is God and he is man. The second thing, each nature is full and complete. In other words, he's fully God and fully man. Uh, I hear this often walking around in grocery stores and stuff, and you might hear this, but someone will spurt out, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. That's totally not true. He claimed to be God in many, many, many ways. And that is part of our confession here this morning. When they talked about that, each nature remains distinct. In other words, he had a human nature and a divine nature. But in that, Christ was only one person. In other words, he wasn't uh, mixed up or split or divided. And then number five, the fifth thing that they came away with, is things that are truly, that are true of, of only one nature, are nonetheless true of the person of Christ. In other words, he looked like a man, he talked like a man, and then he did and said things like God. all together in one. And so... This has been battled and thought over long before we came on the scenes, but I thought I'd connect you to the historical precedence of where that all came about. All right, so like we said in John's day, the argument was that Jesus was certainly fully divine. But was he really human? Did he have a, a body? And John's answer and the council's answer was absolutely. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. It might be good enough to know that Jesus himself confessed this. In Luke 24, I'm reading uh, through the Bible with a lot of you, and I'm in Luke right now. I just finished Luke. I read 24 on Friday. And um, Jesus said, why are you troubled? Because he showed up and they kind of thought he was a ghost or a spirit. They didn't know what they were dealing with. He says, why are you so troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands, see my feet, see that it's I myself. Touch me and see. Now that'd be kind of weird, right? Go ahead, poke me, touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Jesus himself said that he has a body and he will have a body when we get into eternity. So this is something that's critical to the Christian confession. The second part of what James covered so well last week ties to this, and that is God is love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In other words, the core anchor piece is you become like the God you worship. And if you worship the Heavenly Father, the Heavenly Father is love, and so you will learn to love. I think all of us have been on a life journey to realize we think we're good at love <laughs> till we get married, then we realize, ooh, bit selfish, ooh, bit stubborn, ooh, bit petty, ooh, bit ooh, a lot, mm, right? And it's a process that we grow in and are growing in. Uh, here's the thing about this statement. Now, we read this and we go, yeah, okay, yeah, so big deal, so what? But actually, in the day when John wrote this, this was actually quite shocking. And the reason why is the gods of antiquity were many things, capricious, arrogant, gods of darkness and the occult, uh, gods of war, gods of illicit sex, gods of po- t- political intrigue, battling over loves and powers and kingdoms. But there was no ancient God who was identified as the God who is love. Look through Greek literature, you won't find one. Okay. Other than Yahweh of the Jewish religion. This is the the the. the description of his essential nature and that would have blown the ancients mind they they would not have a category for this and everyone knew there was a god or a god back in that day but that that god loved them that he was a god of love it was almost incomprehensible to comprehend but it did and that's why the gospel swept through the then known world It just lit up like a fire. You mean there's actually a God who loves me? There's a God I can know that he's not going to smash or pillage me or send me to hell that he actually cares about me? And I can be rescued, I can be redeemed. There's a way out? Wow! So John's going to encourage us to apply all this to our lives. So we're going to move on and just go in the natural sequence. So let's pray before we do and seek the Lord. Father, when we come, we recognize that uh, it's not just human intellect, it's not just us gathered together, it is by your spirit that we understand, it's by your spirit that our eyes are open. Lord, and particularly in this issue of loving each other, as John continues, I ask that you would give us eyes to see, and we pray this in your name, amen. All right. So John has mentioned this before when he's talking about the spirit of truth. John is saying that we can discern truth from error because God has given us a helper. This is really important. Okay? Uh, first, John, if you look at John, the gospel of John, chapters 14 through 17, the Holy Spirit is described this way. John 14, uh, verses 15 and 17. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Have we heard that before? John repeats that exact thing in 1 John. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. This is Jesus saying it. That's where John got it from. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. John 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. John sixteen thirteen and 14. When the Spirit of truth comes, are you catching a pattern here? All right. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now look at those terms, and you can only look at this one, but look at the terms, helper, spirit of truth, one who proceeds from the Father. He's called the witness. His job is to bring glory to Jesus. So in 1 John, John just keeps carrying on this theme through that whole epistle. Look at 1 John chapter 4 now. We'll slide right into our our study and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be savior of the world whoever confesses that jesus is the son of god god abides in him and he in god john is saying this look i personally saw him this is this jesus we're talking about let me clear up the confusion i talked with him i walked with him i ate with him and i testify testify is a word used We're familiar with it in a court of law, right? And do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, right? Put the hand on the Bible, so swear I God, right? Before God. And uh, that's what testimony. John's saying, I testify that God sent his son to be the savior of the world. This is my confession. And he's saying, and if it's your confession as well, then you and God are linked up by his Holy Spirit, and God dwells within you. That is a marvelous, marvelous truth that's just kind of fallen off the shelf and into the ditch uh, in America, in the church in the last few years. We've just forgotten about that. And it's incredibly important. John's bringing it up as really important. John then drives home two anchors for us that he's trying to teach us. So he's going to talk about know and then believe. Uh, In NIV, if you have NIV, it's rely, which is just as good and very helpful. Okay? So know and rely or know and believe, He's going to, these two anchor points that we come off of. So he says this, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. We have come to know and rely on the love that God has for us. Notice it's a two-part equation. First part is we have to know. Know means not only to be made aware of, but to understand. In other words, not just see it, but you have to understand it. So understand, or or another way we'd say it is take it in, right? I I absorb it. uh, To know in the sense of realizing, we would say the light bulb came on, right? Or we would say, got it, or I see it, aha, I I grasp it. Now, we can look at something and not really see it, all right? So I want to use two illustrations with you. They're, They're fun illustrations just to give you an idea on this. First one here. Is uh, the one that comes up is the old egg and young lady. All right? Take a look at that picture. How many of you see an old hag? How many see a young lady? How many see both? A couple of us, okay? Keep looking. Keep looking. There's both an old hag and a young lady in that picture. Ah, heads are starting to bob. See, once you can see both, you see it. But until then, you're going, and I, if I said, how many see both of them? will raise our hand because we don't want to look silly, right? Oh, no, I don't get it. Come on, Steve, tell me where it is. Okay, so the young lady has, this is her jawline turned this way. Okay, can you see that? And that's her nose up here. And the old hag, the jawline is her nose and the necklace is her teeth. Can you see it now? looking ah ah, somebody got it there we go right let's let's try another one here's an old man and a young man young cowboy all right how many can see the young cowboy how many can see the old man how many can see both ah interesting different hands okay take a look take a look all right The young man has the cowboy hat on and he's turned away. This is his ear. That's his jawline. And this down here is a necklace he's wearing. Can you see it now? The old man, can you see the old man? He's tucked and hunched. The caps over his head. The jawline is his nose. And again, the the necklace is his teeth. Can you see it? How many can see it now? Both. This is just a fun illustration, right? Right? nothing profound, but it lets us know that sometimes when we're looking at things, we might see different things. We might not see it exactly the way, it, we might not really apprehend what we're seeing. And that's what John is saying, is that we have to not just know, but we have to rely, we have to believe in, in what we're seeing. And, and we say, can you see it? Right? A lot of times, that's a pastor's hardest job is to communicate things we already know and ask the question, can you see it? Do you get it? All of us have the experience of, for example, in common life, all of us have the experience of giving someone instructions. And you're looking at them and saying, okay, this and this and this, you got it? And they do the bobbing head routine, right? Yep, got it, and you walk away going, I don't think they understood a word <laughs> I'm saying, right? You know, as sure as you're standing there, they really didn't get it. Proverbs twenty nine nineteen says, by mere words, a servant is not disciplined, for though he understands, he will not respond. What does that mean? It just went in one ear and right out the other, right? We have that saying, it means they didn't really grasp it just because you heard it or read it or listened to it doesn't mean you understand it and that's why we work so hard to get people to grasp because how can you love a god you can't see well it's by faith and you have to believe the things he's told you and you have to be able to grasp it and enter into that life you can't just know about it uh You know, Pam, uh, my wife, is wonderful, and she will give me instructions. And uh, when she's talking to me, she will catch me drifting and say, Did you hear me? Sure, honey. What did I just say? Man, is it awesome when I can repeat back to her verbatim what she just said. One out of ten ain't bad. No means better than one out of 10, all right? No means I own it. No means it informs you. No means you operate it by. Decisions are informed because of it. So John says we have to know the love that God has for us. We have to have that kind of embrace us so that it shapes the way we think. Now, no is important, but it's only one part of the equation. The second part that John says, ties to, it says, we have to know and believe. Again, NIV would be rely, right? Uh, Believe means I place my faith in something as true. I put my weight down on it. I put my pledge down on it. I put my honor down on it, right? I can rely on the outcome. I believe that the person is telling me the truth. I will trust them and I can rely on the outcome of how it turns out. Again, I can put my weight on it. It's dependable. That's what rely means. You are relying on the chair you are sitting on right now this morning. Why? Because it's reliable. It's been built right and you sit on it every Sunday and never give it a second thought because chairs are supposed to hold you. That's what it means to believe. You actually sit down and to have faith that it will happen. Well, this is... The old gospel picture, right? We are on one side of the equation and we are separated from God and we can't get across the other side, which is eternity and heaven. And Jesus came and bridged that gap for us. And so often that's an academic picture. That's an idea of, okay, I have to academically grasp that. The best illustration I have of it, and I've used this story before, so just humor me in it, but it illustrates it so well, was of a guy named Blondin the Great. Blondin the Great is one of the great tightrope walkers in the history of the world. In one of his stunts, they strapped a wire across Niagara Falls from the American side to the Canadian side. And he did all kinds of stunts, and he went out there and walked and did things, and sat on a chair on one leg and peeled an apple and did all kinds of stuff like this. And came to the other side and said, "Do you believe I can take a man?" Now there's two versions of the story. One is a wheelbarrow, and one is he carried would carry a guy across on his back. We'll use the wheelbarrow; it's more fun. Okay? Do you believe that I can take a man in this wheelbarrow? And he had a wheelbarrow. I was going to bring my wheelbarrow this morning, but too much work. Imagine a wheelbarrow. Okay? In this wheelbarrow across to the other side. Yeah! Okay? No, 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 you don't get it. I am blonde and the Great. I am the greatest tightrope walker that has ever existed in the history of the world. Do you believe I can take a man in this wheelbarrow and take him across to the other side? Yeah! Now, there's about 300,000 people at this event. About 150,000 on the American side, about 150. So this is a big thing, right? This is way back in the day. They're cheering, going crazy. He said it did it a third time. They went wild. They were clapping and cheering, frothing at the mouth. Yeah, we believe. And he said, okay, who will get in the wheelbarrow? See, it's one thing to know he can do it. Yeah. It's one thing to know he can do it. It's another thing to get in the wheelbarrow. That's what John is saying to us. You've got to get in the wheelbarrow and let Jesus take you across to the other side. By the way, you know who got in the wheelbarrow, right? That when he said that, the place went dead still. I mean, you could hear a pin drop. Nobody moved. And finally, a guy came out of the, out of the crowd, and uh, he was the color of this sheet of paper, right? And uh, he got in the wheelbarrow. And Blondin proceeded to take him across to the other side. Who got in the wheelbarrow? It was his manager. You know why his manager got in the wheelbarrow? Because there was a clause in the contract that he had put together that unless Blondin took someone across the other side, they didn't get paid. (laughs) He went from no to believe really quick. See, he knew in his head Blondin could do it, but it was another thing to get in the wheelbarrow. That's what we're saying when it comes to faith. It's one thing to know about faith, it's one thing to talk about faith, it's one thing, but you have to get in the wheelbarrow. You have to let Jesus take you to the other side. You have to trust him. That's what John is saying. We have to know but rely. And I want to say this is a true word for us right now. Uh, Anxiety is the, this is free, okay? This isn't even in my notes. Anxiety right now is the number one issue among people in America, okay? It tops all other issues that are going on. People are freaking out, basically, is how we'd say it. It's one thing to know there's a God. It's another thing to know there's Jesus. It's another thing, do you believe there's a God? Yeah. Do you believe he was born a virgin? Yeah. Do you believe that he died on the cross? Yeah. Do you believe we're gonna... Yeah, 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 yeah. It doesn't make any difference in the world until you get in the wheelbarrow. A huge cure for anxiety is relying on that Jesus who said he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will not leave us stranded. He knows exactly what's going on. We as the church need to trust him today as much as they did in John's day. Amen? Amen. Know and rely. Do you have that point? How do you need to rely on him in your life right now? What's an area that you've been fudging on that you have been skipping because you know what you should do, you just don't want to do it? That's important. We'll get to that point in just a second. But here's the point. Jesus promises us that he can take us across that divide. Do you trust the promise? Or are you just intellectually assenting to it? So that if we're sitting here and the rapture happened, you would be sitting here because you only intellectually knew about it but you never got in the wheelbarrow. That matters, right? And you're saying, well I don't believe there's a rapture. Fine, if persecution hits, you gonna stand? I am a believer of and a follower of the risen and resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, and I believe the Bible's the word of God. Would you die for that? Or will you flake out? The love of many will grow cold. The church has to stand pressure, persecution, or not. Come what may, we would not be the first generation that Jesus loves dearly and they have gone through persecution. So either way you want it, which way you want it? Are you known, knowing and relying? John goes on in 16, God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this love is perfected with us so that we might have confidence on the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in the world. Knowing Jesus, being obedient to Jesus, produces what? Confidence. The verse is, As he is, so also we in this world can be confusing, but basically it means that we are to become like Christ. In other words, we're to be little Christ. We are to reflect him. As we grow in sanctification, we gain confidence in the promises of God and fully expect him to return to get us. Remember what John said earlier in chapter 3. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Lights on. That's going to be an awesome show, right? And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So if you know and if you rely, what's the next logical step is you clean your life up, right? Okay. Most of us are good at cleaning. I remember when I came to Christ and and I was a a, a putrid mess. Okay, sorry. I really was. And I cleaned up all the outside things in less than six months. Thought, how long is it going to take me to be a godly guy? Six months, I'll have it down. Got it. Boom. What a fool. Absolute fool. Okay. Outside stuff went away. I actually cleaned that up really well. It was the inside stuff. It was the inside stuff that still wasn't clean. And what John's saying here is that God, we sang about it, right? Make me a vessel that you can pour new wine into. We sang a great song, Esther Lettuce in. It's really good, right? It's excellent. Uh, what's John saying? Purity gives us confidence. Purity gives us confidence. By the same token, impurity robs us of confidence. And that doesn't matter what area it's in. If, if we're staying pure, I'm sorry, if we're not staying pure, we are not going to be confident in the Lord. We are to cooperate with God's grace to become like Him. Why do we strive to stay pure? Well, John has it right here because He is pure. Everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Sin clouds the picture or pollutes our spirit. So what John's saying is the vessel matters. So I brought something this morning just for an illustration of this. This is a cup from home. Nothing fancy about it, but it's a good vessel and it works really well. And you can do a lot of things with it. And I brought a Coke, a nice, ice, well, it was ice cold when I started. Might not be right now, but you know, a nice Coke, right? You could drink and burp and it'd be great, right? A whole, whole deal. Now, how much sin does it take to mess up your life, right? I mean, is it just a huge, big sin, a lot of sin, little sin? Well, the illustration I'd use this morning is that it doesn't take much. Okay, if I take this glass and I spit in that glass, <laughs> and I say, "Hey, friends, guess what? I have a really nice, ice cold." Coke for you this morning. Look at that, the tops off. Oh, yum 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 yum. Boy, that really foams with spit in there. That's cool. (laughs) I could just see my wife right now. She'd go, "Oh man, that guy." (laughs) Who would like a drink? Does it matter if the vessel's clean? How much does it take to where you wouldn't drink this? Not much. Okay? That's the point that John's trying to make is that we 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 play with sin. We pet our sin. It's just a little porn. Come on. That's a little lying. I, I stole at work, but so what? I didn't tell the truth to my wife, big deal. I you know. So I fudged some of the stuff on my taxes. or I, You know, I, yeah, I blew through the red light, but who cares, right? The cameras aren't working anymore anyways. How much does it take before this is undrinkable? Not much. Now, some of you are obnoxious and would drink it just to spite me, <laughs> right? Because you're like me. But most of us would go, no, not doing that, okay? Because you know what's in there. Here's the point John's trying to make. God knows what's in there, and it doesn't work. You can't tell right now, but God can see it. Uh, It ties to this next point, and it's huge. Here's where the huge is. Go back to the confidence piece now. John says this in 14, there is no fear in love. This kind of is a weird comment, because it kind of comes out of the blue. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now this is coming from John himself. I believe this is an autobiographical comment by John. This is is John's life message here. We're getting something really unique from John. This is how he's wired. It's coming right out of his wheelhouse. And he's talking about it. And John is now an old man. And he has loved Jesus for a long time. And he's giving us a valuable insight here. What he's saying is this, hey, salvation isn't a credit score. It's not a to-do list. It's not a merit badge. Ultimately, what it is, it's a love relationship. And nobody knows this better than John. Not only is he the disciple that Jesus loved, but he is also the disciple who loved Jesus. There was a reason Jesus loved him. Because John openly returned the love right back to him. And Jesus knew it. That dude loves me. And John is cueing us into something. God is looking for those who will love him in spirit and in truth. And John is saying, ultimately, your life is going to be measured not by what you have or by what you did, but by who you loved starting with god himself and fear and love don't mix well you ever notice that now fear and love are interesting that they can produce the same external result but they don't come from the same heart motivation fear and love do not mix well uh let me uh use our our dog jojo uh as an illustration here, Jojo is a little Bicky Bear. She's about this big, and uh, she thinks she's a dog. She's really a cat. <laughs> and uh, Abby would go, how rude. Okay. Uh, but she's a wonderful little dog. We have a great time with her family. But she cringes. She cr- when you go up to her, she cringes, and she ducks down. And you're like, she acts like she's been beaten, right? And you're like, what is wrong with you? We're, us. You know us, we feed you. Hello, you should love us, right? But, but she, she cringes and, and she doesn't come willingly into your arms. You have to coax her or you actually have to get her to sit, sit. Then when she sits, you can actually stop and pick her up, right? Otherwise, she'll, she'll run away. Uh, uh, she flinches, she cowers, like I said. And here, she's a great illustration of what John's trying to point out. John is telling us, that this will not work in our relationship with God. A lot of us are like Jojo. Every time Jesus comes around, we flinch. Every time he wants to get close, we cower. We act like he's the great God of punishment and he's going to beat the snot out of us. And we just are flinching. And it's like, can you imagine being Jesus? I mean, I get upset with Jojo. I'm like, I'm the guy who plays with you all the time. Give me a break. Come and jump in my lap. No, uh, right? How would you feel if everyone you love flinched every time you approached them to love them? Right? The one who fears flinches and has not been made perfect in love. All hooked up on punishment and rules and but not Perfected in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Who has perfect love? Jesus does. Will we be judged? Absolutely we will. John's saying get over that. John says you have to get past that. See the great, see the great love that the Father has for us. Remember back in chapter 3, you can go back there later. I'll just read it to you. But it says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. John reveled in Jesus' love for him. He just couldn't get over it. He said, see the kind of love the Father's given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And you're sitting there this morning saying, I don't deserve to be called a child of God. Absolutely true. Me either. But God seemed to ignore that opinion and decided anyways. Right? So we're in. So get over it is what John's saying. And start loving Jesus back. Quit flinching. Quit cowering. Stop it. It's absolutely annoying. Can you imagine if you went to your husband and wife and every time you tried to embrace them, they flinched? Like, yikes. You bring them flowers. Oh! Just crazy. Here's the point. Yes, we need to love Jesus. But we also need to let Jesus love us. We have to stop doing this. And church, you know what I'm saying. Come in, come in, come in, but you only get that far. My wounds, my hurts, my sins are so big. I never could trust to let you in all the way. That's not getting in the wheelbarrow, people. That's sitting on the side with intellectual knowledge and not fully engaging. You have to drop this and you have to say, come in, come in, come in. Maybe that's one reason we're so freaked out by the Holy Spirit is because we can't control him, and we keep doing this, and he jumps right around our defenses, right? Uh, Get over it, he's God. Jesus will not be pleased if every time he approaches us, we cringe and cower. John wants us to get it. Perfect love casts out fear. And this connects us with John's next point and he runs this by, he's run us by this several different times. And we'll just go over it quickly in this short epistle. But if we love God, then we must also love one another. Rewind to James' sermon last week. Okay? You said, well, I didn't get it. I wasn't here. Fine, we have a website. Just go on. You can download it. You can get it. But in essence, in a nutshell, here's what James says. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Underline that, capitalize that. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Oh, if you love me, you'd keep my commandments. Ah, what's your commandments? There's millions. How could you love the person next to you? How about love me and love the person next to you? Could you do that? Sweet. Let's go with that. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, there's some genius to this. This is absolutely relationally consistent. Think with me on this. This is absolutely relationally consistent. If I say I love this way, right? I love God. Then it also means I must love this way horizontally. Now here's the point and why that makes sense. We tend to be really relationally consistent as people. How I love this way is how I will love this way and how I love this way is how I will love this way. How I treat people is how I'll treat God, and how I treat God is how I'll treat people. And God uses people to expose the weaknesses in that and to get us to love better and to love deeper and to love others and Him in a deeper way. This brings up the enormous topics of repentance, forgiveness, bitterness, grudges, and we won't cover any of that this morning. You're, you, thank you. You're welcome. Watch. Well, John What we do have time for this morning, though, is the emphasis church we need to love each other. Jesus said, "When I come back, will I find any faith on the earth and notice that faith is connected? The love of most will grow what cold, and that means for God too, is the love of God growing cold in our country He's mostly forgotten, but there will be those who shine like lights and those who love well. The church is not dead, my friends. The church is very, very alive. The world says it's dead. It has to. It's running an agenda. John's conclusion is this if we love God, we must love our brother also. So, practical application this morning who bugs you? Who do you need to pray for? Who do you need to forgive? What do you need to let go of? And who do you need to love? Think we could do that? Good. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we... God, this is way too close to the bone. The illustrations are great. This is not anything we have never heard before. But it's something that we always need to be reminded of, Lord. And thank you for reminding this morning, myself as well as my friends. As we sit here, we realize, Lord, the challenge to love is a huge one. And uh, Father, we ask for your favor this morning. We know that we don't love the way you do. Help us, teach us. May we learn. Lord, may we know and rely. May we be a people who get in the wheelbarrow and let you take us where you want it to go. And we give that to you in your name. Amen.